Hello, and welcome to this episode of Artists in Depth. I'm Alan Powell, and together with my co-host Bill Key, we talk with guest artists and explore links between their creativity and their identity. No matter your choice of expression, Artists in Depth provides an opportunity for the listener to ask the same questions of themselves that are being asked of our guests and to reflect on their own identity through the work they've created. And without further ado, let's get on with our podcast. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada, embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives. This episode is also sponsored by ACES, prioritizing the actor's well-being when embodying emotionally distressing characters. ACES is character development for the 21st century. Take your craft to the next level. Visit acesforactors.com and book a free, no-obligation consultation. Our guest today is Joanne Vanicola. Joe is a Canadian artist whose first prominent role was in the teen drama 9B, for which they received a Gemini nomination for Best Actress in 1989. In 1991, they won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Performance in Maggie's Secret, and in 1994 received a Genie Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress for the film Love and Human Remains. Their TV credits are too numerous to mention, 71 credits on IMDb, of which many are reoccurring or regular roles. Joe's memoir, All We Knew But Couldn't Say, was published in 2019 and shortlisted for a Kobo Emerging Writer Prize in 2020. Joe's passion for social justice and equity issues led to their founding of Youth Out Loud, a not-for-profit organization to raise awareness of child abuse. An out lesbian prior to coming out as non-binary, Joe was a prominent campaigner for same-sex marriage in Canada and is the current chair of Actors Advocacy and Support Committee for LGBTQ performers. Our discussion was rich and covered everything from coming out at a young age to the abuse as a child, living in fear, to survival, to leaving a legacy, and the artistic works they've created to do just that. Hello, Joe. Hello, Alan. And Bill. And Hi. Bill, okay, and Bill, Hi. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Hi, Joe, nice to meet you. Hi, yeah, yeah. nice we're, to meet you too. We're doing this together. Uh, so, Joe, in your book, All, all We Knew, all we, all we knew but couldn't say yeah yeah um i just jumped to like page 111 i think it was and started reading and uh it was quite impactful without getting into too much detail in that uh, about that excerpt uh just to understand the motivation for writing the book itself she started as a novel um initially because i didn't really want to expose my private life as a public person whether or not you know me or not, this isn't really the issue. I just didn't know if, it, if I could pub publicly uh, uh, pour my heart out in, in a book, which is now a memoir, but at the time it started as a novel, but it was really good because it allowed me the freedom to write whatever I wanted as a novel. And then when I made the decision to turn it into a memoir, it was because all of my readers, my close readers said it, it read more like a memoir than it did a novel and I might have trouble. <laughs> with the publication and you know I had to think about what it is I was trying to do and the purpose for writing the book and then I when I understood my purpose I decided to to turn it into the memoir uh, because my purpose is really to reach a, a, a you know a larger group of people um, 
around the understanding of child abuse, about misogyny and homophobia and what it's like to, to work in the arts and to be, um, to work in any industry really when you have trauma and how do we impact the world? How do we make it a better place? How do we deal with, you know, depression or anxiety or, or PTSD or, or even repair, reparation around um, complex and difficult relationships? So all of those issues were really important. And I thought the only way to really speak to these things is to write, um, to write it and publish it as the memoir that I, I think it was, an, it was always meant to be, but I hadn't really caught, enough, caught up to that reality. Yeah, it's really meant to be a journey how one grows up in a uh, can be you can grow up in a violent home and not know which end is up. Uh, you know, I did leave home quite young. I was 14 when I left home and was asked to leave. Uh, so I was living adult life already at the age of 14 and trying to survive in the adult world. So, you know, there was a lot to cope with. And in those years, all you do is survive and you just get from A to B. That's it. It's not about where do I want to be in 10 years or when am I going to get an education or any, none of those things matter because you have to focus on survival. And so I did go to school for a while, um, but then I had to work. It just became, you know, my, the relationships with the adults, the, the adults in my life had fallen, uh, had, you know, gone to, uh, had disappeared essentially by the time I was 16. And so I really had to uh, you know, take care of myself. So it was really about how do I survive? And I got an agent and, you know, I had, you know, a public career and a young, I worked all the time when I was quite young. So there was a lot of anxiety around the work because, because of gender. And also, I guess, because it, it, you know, I was a young person surviving and had too much trauma and, and trying to, <clears throat> Uh, live and be in a culture and in an industry that uh, perpetuates some of that trauma, but also and reinforces it uh, through misogyny, homophobia, and abuse of power. Uh, you know, uh, I had to try and figure out how do I survive that on top of you know living in the world. So there were a lot of layers and complicated issues to work through, and it took a long time. And so the, really, it's about how do we get from um, you know, the experiences of childhood and trauma and how do we survive and thrive and, you know, be in the world and, you know, what are our contributions and what do we want to say and how do we want to live and how do we want to go out, <laughs> really, because I think about that, what do I want to leave behind, what, what are, you know, uh, what can I do to make the world a better place and that really becomes a part of my everyday purpose. What statements have you, do you feel you've made in your work, not just in the book, but in your work in general, what are you? What do you represent? What do you feel you represent, or what do you, what you haven't done yet that you want to represent? Yeah, I think I I think my life is in some ways an example because uh, as a young person in my twenties, when I was you know re, when my career was rising and I, I won an Emmy and I was you know people were looking searching for me as an actor even I it got even, it became harder because I, uh, you know, when I was on, uh, you know, trying to understand my own identity and my own even expression of gender and sexuality and uh, all of those things were also, you know, uh, very difficult because I was dealing with tons of homophobia and misogyny uh, inside the industry as well. So having to keep those things, what felt like secret was so dangerous to my survival uh, to my spirit that, um, 
I eventually made the decision uh, to just be out. Like I just thought, forget it. I'm, I can't, I can't hide and lie. I can't be that person because it just is destroying me. <laughs> but in making that decision, I was also, you know, knifing my career because certainly at the time, uh, you know, it was acceptable to be homophobic and misogynistic. And it, you know, oftentimes it really still is. I mean, there are many things happening in the news today. If, if you pay attention to culture and what's happening, you know, even in the media around being queer or female, it's very complicated and, and, and still uh, steeped in oppressive and oppression. And so I think it was really important to use my life uh, and not be, and not give up. And so even though the road is very, very hard and has been very hard, my goal became bigger than my own survival and my own life. My goal was how do I make it, how do I reach other young people? How do I speak about the issues of homophobia and misogyny? How do I talk about child violence? How do I bridge all of these things in not just a book, but in my life and in my, you know, in my everyday universe? How do I, how do I have a, a, a good life and how do I make the best of it? And how do I change the culture? And that, those are big things, but all of those things are very important to my survival and to my um, purpose. I just feel really driven to, um, to be part of a, a movement of anti-oppression and uh, you know, uh, anti-colonialism and uh, equity. Like those are really important things for me. So it drives my career choices and the things that I write about and where I want to go even in the future. So my dreams are always big, which is great. Um, but it feels like the mountain's really, really tall. So, yeah. Everything you've said is so, it's, it, is, it sounds bohemoth um, in the task. Um, and I, I, I guess what I, what I want to do is maybe narrow it down a bit more and get a little more specific into, um, as an example, say, uh, is there a role or a piece of work, uh, artistic work that you've done recently or in the past that has stayed with you um, and has altered your perception of the world or helped you be more you? Um, I don't know if there's one specific role, but... You know, certainly there were roles along the way that reflected um, uh, a, a part of my identity, let's say. So I, I won an Emmy for the thing called Maggie's Secret, and that was a really interesting part at the time because I was quite young, but uh, it was about a, a, a young girl who, whose parents were alcoholics and who were, uh, you know, one was, uh, you know, made a sexual uh, tried to sexually abuse their daughter and the other was just drunk. So the woman was just drunk. So this whole experience of doing that show was really big internally for me because it allowed me to use uh, my emotional reality in, in a role that I was hoping would, you know, maybe have an impact. But I was so young then that I didn't really understand the magnitude of those those you know, emotions and that show uh, at the time, I just knew what it felt like for me. Um, and then, then through through my you know experience growing up, that you know whether or not I get to audition for a queer character or a, a gender nonconforming character, uh, or you know a, you know any any person that has a, 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 you know a complex difficult uh, relationship, it allowed me to use my history in a way that benefited the role and hopefully the 
the part. But, um, but you know, it's a complicated thing too, because you have to know how to take care of yourself when you're, when you're an actor. And, you know, when you allow those parts of yourself to come forward in, in anything you do, you, you still, you, you, you certainly have to reflect on your own experience. And um, so I did a lot of that. And in some ways there was a lot of therapeutic benefit to that. And then I got paid for it sometimes. So I thought, okay, so I got, I got paid to use that experience. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, well, you talk about taking care of yourself, which is is very important piece. And uh, what I also heard was that it was um, I I got the uh, the impression that boundary blurring is part of it, and that's why you need to take care of yourself because you need to come out of it. What made you start taking care of yourself as an actor? Was there a role that really stuck with you, and you had to get, needed therapy or something? Or you know? <laughs> well, I always needed therapy, but. <laughs> um... I, yeah, I mean, there are times when I probably didn't take care of myself, but I think that was usually, or what those times were the times when I just didn't care as much about my own survival, let's say. So I didn't really think about self-care. Um, but as I got older, certainly, uh, you know, with the ability to reflect and, and really understand my life, uh, I started to understand the value and the importance of a boundaries, taking care of myself and, uh, you know, knowing when to take a break. So if something's too complicated emotionally, switch it up, right? Like take care of yourself that way and find another memory <laughs> or, you know, just tap into the character itself uh, for, for what the character is. So there, I think as an actor, my response to that is there are many ways to, to do that. Um, and I, it required a little bit of maturity on my part and life experience to understand how to do that and to be effective in my job as well. So from what I'm hearing for you is you came out fighting and you had fight and you had a you had a really strong sense of what it was important to fight for, not just for yourself, but for, you know, for um as you said, you know, LGBTQ people and, 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 and women generally, and, you know, in, in an industry which is, you know, um, very difficult for people from those backgrounds, from those identifications. And is that right? Is that what I'm getting? It was a fight. It sounds like you felt like you might have been fighting a losing battle a couple of times and, you know, more than a couple. And what did you do with that? What did you do with that fear? Uh, you know, that's a really interesting question. I feel like fear... Um, like nerves, like anxiety, uh, all of those things that we, that are human reactions and realities to our life circumstances. Um, I just understood at a certain point that I could, I, you know, I couldn't let fear stop me from um, experiencing my life or from fighting actually. Uh, you know, and I think that fear is just a natural reaction to oppression sometimes. And certainly to violence um and i i guess i just had to get used to it to be honest because there's so much of it in my life and i i just had to understand that fear was part of my identity and how do i transfer fear and use it in a way uh that is also to my benefit and so it doesn't mean that fear necessarily goes away i could walk down the street and somebody could queer bash me and i'm fucked right excuse my language sorry you have to edit that um but i can't stay in because somebody might assault me uh i have to live my life and so that's just one example of of how fear manifests and certainly 
you know, as somebody who, you know, um, you know, the, the risks are higher for someone like myself of, of being assaulted. So, uh, you know, how do we all deal with those things in our lives? And how do children deal with that? When that's a, you know, you don't even have the power as a child to, to make a decision because the decisions are made for you and they're not necessarily good if you come from an abusive environment and live in an abusive environment. And I think when you grow up with fear, you learn how to live with it and to navigate it. And so I always had people above me who were ready to squish me and literally squish me and I had to survive. And I think it's that fight that I that I learned as a child and when my dad was beating me up or you know something worse that I I had to scrap. And so I'm a scrapper. And so I scrap not just for me, but for others. And I think, okay, that's that's how I can use that energy. I you know, just keep it in the public, keep it visible. Uh, don't wither away. Don't allow that power or violence or control to stop you from the things that you want to do in the world. And they may try. Uh, so I have to pivot and do something else in order to get to my end goal. So, for example, coming out young and fighting and being a feminist and, uh, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you know, activist, uh, all of those things I had to do because I, I otherwise I would have withered away and, and died. It wouldn't I would have allowed my childhood experiences to be perpetuated in my adult life. And even though the culture you know, conspires against me in a lot of ways because of the, because of the oppression, um, I, I still have to fight. And I, I think because I was a scrappy kid and I, um, I, I was involved in, in, in human rights issues as a child and I was an activist as a teen, that those experiences formed, helped shape who I became as an adult, um, as well as the things that were complicated and difficult and scary. So, you know, it's a weird bag it's that, I, that I have. And uh, so I use it all. <laughs> I use my activism. I use, you know, my childhood experiences and my craft and crafts, uh, you know, as a writer and an actor and uh, everything else to, to kind of um, forge an another path forward. And I don't know half the time what I'm doing. I just do it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Does. I so admire and respect what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thank um, you. There's something about um, the way what you described about fear. Um, sounds like you renegotiated through the years how I'm going to use this. Well, how am I going to use it for me to advance myself, which is beautiful because that's what we do. It, it defenses. There's so many defenses that we have as children that we don't realize take on an identity all themselves. And uh, you go through life and here you, you end up when you're 45 or 50 or 60 years old and you still have this defense and the defense, the identity of the defense believes you are still eight years old and needs to defend you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think in fact, most people who have histories of violence or child abuse, uh, you know, um, have to come to terms with that at some point or, or, or not, you know, maybe some people don't reflect on, on that and run from that. Um, whereas, you know, others of us do with the face, you know, what those experiences were, how they impacted us, you know, what we can use, what we can let go of, what helps, what hurts, like all of those things that we have to ask ourselves to survive. Um, and some people I think are way better at it than others. And, uh, 
it isn't about good or bad or right or wrong. It's just, you know, a natural reaction to violence and oppression. And some people, I think, don't know how to how to push beyond those experiences because the harm that was done and, and perhaps the lack of help that they've been given. Um, and, and some are able are able to to find that, you know, different level of courage that uh, it takes to to dig deep and look deep. Joe, have you ever written any drama? I'm sorry if I if I if I should know yeah. this, but have no, you... it's okay if you don't know. I don't know <laughs> a lot about you. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, you know just trying to get this short film in festivals right now. It's called Trashed, and um, I think that's a good place for me to keep writing you know screen stuff because I like it. Uh, but it allows me to give voice to characters that I would like to play, but also things that I would like to see and things that I would like other people to understand or not even just in my own community, but in, in, the, in, the, in the larger sense and, the, you know, for LGBTQ people, but also heterosexual people, cisgendered people, like what can I produce that, you know, uh, changes the conversation. And mm. so Trashed was an important piece for me to do just because it's a, a piece about a marginalized, uh, homeless, addicted, uh, non-binary, queer individual and how they're experiencing you know their life and mm. it's sort of the 10 minute 11 minute short about this one character and mm -hmm. that felt really important and uh, right now I just finished a, a first draft of a, uh, a screenplay about L uh, LGBTQ homeless youth mm. uh, and what happens you know to the youth queer culture and specifically for this one character who comes out to religious parents who toss them out of their home, which happens mm. all the time. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, like uh, 40, at least 40%, if not more of the homeless youth population identifies as LGBTQ. Mm. Um, and of that population, 60 or I think 70% of them try to commit suicide. Uh, mm. So it's, it's dismal. And there are, mm. in America alone, there, there are more than 4 million uh, homeless youth uh so when you think about the numbers and at least mm. nearly half of those youth are queer mm. um you know that's that's mm. complicated stuff and so it that sort of became a story that was really important for me mm. to kind of think about how did i want to develop uh, a story that could shed light on what's happening out there but also um you know create create content of you know for the for the community that I that I am a part of, so yeah, that that's become a bigger part of my life now as I get older, and so it's kind of an exciting uh, thing as well as difficult. <laughs> but mm -hmm. but um, but yeah, that's sort of what I'm doing now, and um, we'll mm -hmm. see what happens. I you know I feel like writing is a good is a good uh, release for me, and I've written. Oh, three or four kid books that I've yet to publish about about gay kids or queer kids mm. or mm. you know uh, you know so there's a lot of material in, in my brain and suddenly it's mm. like unleashed and I'm like I've got to I've got to mm. keep writing so that's mm. kind of the practice mm. of that is really good for me. Mm. Mm. That 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 unleashing uh, did it did it start with the short film or was it prior to that? It started before that certainly you know, getting rid of that memoir after years of writing that book, which was once a novel and then a memoir, and then I had to get a publisher and then it took mm. a year and so many years of lifetime that went into that, this one little piece. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, oh, I've got, time's running out. I got to work faster. <laughs> so, 
Um, but that's part of it. I'm like, you got to go faster here. This is I don't have years and years for everything I produce. So like, so that's there's that. Motivation <laughs> is is death. Yeah, it's death. Like, there, how many years are there? So they like, get going. <laughs> so, but this helped in some way because I've like the veils are gone. There's no secrets. I don't really have much to hide. I mean, I have very good boundaries, but. Um, you know, I don't really have secrets anymore and that, and, and I don't, I don't think they're healthy. And so mm. I like, I like to, you know, explore those things in writing and in character, because I do think that we do have the ability to impact, um, people's lives through the craft, mm. through our craft. So mm. that's, that's what I want to do. And I just want to keep doing it. It really sounds like you're just shi you're shining a light. You're shining a big light on all this stuff and just, you know, expressing your own experiences. And, you know, I was thinking about the chain, you know, the expression, the chain, and, you know, these, these, these millions of youth wandering around because they, you know, the chain is still linked back to, you know, the, 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 the oppression, the, the fear, the misunderstanding of, of sexuality you know that chain is still there and i suppose the old question came into my mind you know who's gonna when's the chain gonna break and is it getting are we witnessing it getting broken in little fragments around the world at the moment and is that happening fast enough and yeah i mean but yeah it just i really hear what i guess what alan just said you know i'm i'm full of admiration because of this for this bright light you're shining on it mm. you know and you have a great energy and um yeah um, Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. I do. I do think it's true. I do think things are accelerating, but I also think those things are accelerating because the youth of today are so much wiser than 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 we were. Not because mm. we weren't wise in our mm. day. It's just mm. we didn't have the same access to social media and news and um, revolutionary thinking. Quite frankly, mm. uh, about mm. climate change, about about race, mm. about gender, mm. about sexuality, all the things the imbalance between classes and the 1% versus, you know, the masses. So mm. I think young people are aware of most of these issues today in a way that, uh, you know, earlier generations didn't really have access to or, or enough understanding of. There's mm. a global perspective. Uh, mm. And I think that's also very, very exciting uh, because perhaps it will allow, you know, a larger uh, shift in the way that we um, move in the world and treat each other and um you know mm. treat the planet quite frankly but i mean the, you know those are those are my fears right what is there enough time and how how do we use what we know uh, and make the right choices not just mm. as individuals but as countries and mm. uh, economies and uh you know people who have versus those who don't and i really believe that unless we uh, equalize not just genders and races and sexualities, but but economies and classes and yeah. the climate. Mm. We're in big trouble, and so I think the young people really know that. Uh, mm. And so I I just think of my own experience. Okay, so what little bit do I have that I can contribute? Yeah, I can't do everything, but I can I can do this. And so that's how I live my life. And sometimes I'll go pivot and I'll go write a book or pivot and go uh, do, you know, um, start a nonprofit. And, you know, these are all things that I've done in my life. And I think that's the thing about, about life is that it's full and you can, you can keep moving and trying new things and affecting change and, you know, blow the lid off of fear and, and oppression and, even if it's hard, just do it because we have to do it. <laughs> That's mm. how I feel. Like I really believe mm. that it's not just 
you know, um, speaking points. It's just sort of an important way of living my life. There's yeah. um, in every step of the way, as you create these things, you're also defining, continually defining who you are. Um, it's shaping your voice, um, which is a very powerful thing as well. Yeah, but I don't think, um, yes, but I don't know that shaping my voice uh, it somehow becomes less important uh, as what, what I'm shaping uh, in terms of the purpose. So um, I feel like I know what my, my, vo my voice is and now I'm learning how to use it in a way that's, that's useful to others. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, probably more accurate statement than, than what I've just said. I have another question. Sure. It kind of refers back to my question before about fear. And, and I understand and totally respect your answer about, about you know, the, the fear that you've experienced of being oppressed and being attacked and being disregarded by people outside of yourself through, you know, through what sounds like most of your life. I wonder about an internal oppressor and how that affected you going into the world of acting, you know, because yeah, sure. trauma creates internal oppressors, shadow sides, you know, for sure. The myriad of names for who, who is inside yeah. persecuting us. And how did you, how did you confront and process that person? I had to get help. Like I really had to get therapy because I was a mess. Um, uh, you know, I did internalize all that violence. I did internalize the messaging from the culture about what it was at that time as a young person to be female. So I was like, what, what, like, what does that mean that I'm supposed to wear really revealing tight clothing? I'm supposed to learn how to walk in these pumps. I have to have very long hair, wear a lot of makeup, and I'm supposed to stick my butt out and walk a certain way. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> Why? What does any of that matter? And what is the point of all that? To me, that's all about power and control, right? And so that's how... Uh, forgive me, and I don't mean this to blanket statement, but that's how men continue to control the lives of women and girls' bodies is by is by doing that and by reinforcing that messaging. And we do mm. that in our everyday life, subconsciously even, you know? And so I internalized every one of those messages that I received, not just at home, but certainly in the media and in the culture and in my industry as a child, I was in the industry as a child. So I was constantly hearing messages by other people about how to be a girl about, you know, if I was a good enough girl or, mm. you know, mm. sexy enough or mm. smart mm. enough, or, you know, mm. and if I, you know, actually not to be smart, smile more, be pretty, do this, do that. I mean, oh, so stupid. I'm like, why would we ever mm. in our right minds say that to boys? I mean, mm. sure. But I'm just saying, you know, smile more. Don't be so smart. Don't talk. If you could just, you know, you know, mm. like the whole mm -hmm. thing is just mm -hmm. what a waste. <laughs> it, it, you know, it really strikes me what you were saying before about, about, social media and the internet and the, and the sort of advance in that is that it almost feels like there's two waves running side by side you know because because it could be that this this wondrous set of tools that's been given is used to accelerate understanding and accelerate acceptance and 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 a, a, the betterment of the world and at the same time it's absolutely flooded with inappropriate images of women and and inappropriate messages about women and, and you know and gay people sure. and, you know and and yeah so i 
I guess I think it's, it's just a personal statement of my own. Yeah. And it feels like, woof, you know, but an, it a, is a race, you know, and everything. It's just think it's 20 years or something. Just there's this rocket speed race going on and it's it's yeah frightening and really exciting at the same time yeah and i i think an absolute reflection of what's going on in the world right so you have those right-wing conspiracy theorists mm. white power people or whatever mm. you want to call any of them mm. Mm. uh that perpetuate that stuff and use this as their tool as well the internet and so on mm. but then mm. you have people like us or you know people who are trying to affect change or mm. you know, whatever it is activists and mm. amazing thinkers and dreamers mm. and uh you know individuals who are trying to to use that space for good and i and i think Hopefully, uh, you know, the more we expose this sort of what I consider to be evil, and I don't mean that from a religious perspective, but human evil, you I'm know, you. We, we will expose more and more of it and they will expose themselves and hopefully mm. we will find mm. a way to mm. eliminate those uh, horrible, evil, violent realities that control so many of our lives. Mm. It's a kind of a personal thing, I suppose, but okay, so we established earlier on that that I am British, white, heterosexual, you know. Male. What can I, male? Yeah, I, did I, I not would... mention that? Yeah. It's okay, go on. What can I do, Joe? What can you do? Yeah, what can I do to, what can I do from this position? Oh, a lot. To make, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I really think a lot. I think this is the thing. Be brave, like you're in a position Men are white men in particular, uh, heterosexual men, uh, cisgendered are in a position um, where there is a lot you can do. You can certainly learn as much as you can about um, about violence against women, about um, misogyny, about homophobia, and you can support you know people who need it. Support queer people, support black people, support indigenous people, uh, and challenge people in your own lives and circles. I think. You know, people forget that when you're around a dinner table or with your partner or with your male friends or at an event or, you know, and people say or do derogatory things that, you know, wait a second, you can actually do something. You can speak out in support of and not only use your voice, but use your work, use your words, use your writing, your social media uh, outreach, use all your platforms to make a difference because it isn't really just about, you know, white men, you know, uh, and the privilege and power, but it's about all of us living on this planet together. And it is about the very water and trees that we share this planet with as well. And so how do we use our privilege and our power in a way that will amplify the voices that are less heard? And, um, you know, for example, doing this, you know, there's, a, you know, what can you do with this piece? Uh, this podcast that um, can reach people in your lives or, you know, can you be used as a teaching tool for, for those who don't understand oppression? Like what, what do you want to say to them? And I would put that question back onto you, even Bill and Alan, what, what can you do? What will you do? I would say, ask yourself that question and then act on it. Right. So it's not just a, a speaking point, but an action. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that question. That was a good question. Joe, it's been amazing. I won't say wonderful, but I'm going to say, Joe, it's been amazing to have you as a guest. 
and to hear your perspective and to really um, allow myself to be drawn into it. Thank you for, for having me and for the discussion. It was a, a great conversation and really helpful and useful to me. And thank you for coming and sharing your experiences with us. Oh, thank you for also sharing. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. If you've been inspired or moved by what you've heard on today's podcast, I invite you to visit our website, artistsindepth.com. There you can sign up for podcast reminders, get in touch with us through email, or connect with other like-minded artists by sharing your thoughts on our blog and joining our community and finding out more about our initiatives. It's free and it's rewarding. Until next time. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada. Embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives. This episode is also sponsored by ACES, prioritizing the actor's well-being when embodying emotionally distressing characters. ACES is character development for the 21st century. Take your craft to the next level. Visit acesforactors.com and book a free, no-obligation consultation.